you'd join in praying with me. Yeah, that would be awesome. Lord God, we thank you for Dave, Father. We thank you for the way that he serves us, this church. Lord God, we love the way that he serves you. Lord, we love the way he leads his family. Lord, we pray you bless him today as he opens up your word to us. Lord, give us ears to hear you. Lord God, give us open hearts, Lord God, ready to receive the word that you've given Dave. Help him to speak boldly, fearlessly, with clarity and love and joy. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ian. Appreciate that. So, guys, it's Easter Sunday. I always find a pressure preaching on these, these days. Like, there's 783,000 words in your Bible, and this is, uh, this is what the, like the main event, or one of the main events in the Bible. And, and uh, so I want to tell you that I just love the story. I just love the difference it's made in my life, and I'm going to do my best to do some justice to it today. So Brian's uh, interpretation of Norman's tongue was a, was a rescue story. And, and God is a wonderful artist. And uh, the most valuable piece of human heart, art in the world is the... What do you think, guys? You talk to me. Don't leave me alone here. Mona Lisa, that's right. I don't know what you think of the Mona Lisa. I think it's okay. <laughs> She's not really smiling. She's a bit like me. <laughs> Valued at one billion... U.S. dollars, billion dollars, and that that uh, creation was damaged in 1956 when someone threw acid at it, and then there was a rescue plan to try and fix it. And uh, God is a wonderful artist. One of the things we do when we share the gospel with people is we just say to them, "Hey, do you think that there is beauty in the world?" And everybody that I've asked that question to, no matter what their background, they all say yes. There is beauty in the world. And people say different things. Some people say family. Some people say the, the mountains. Some people say the, the night sky or, or, or animals, nature. But everyone says, yes, there is beauty in this world. And that is because God is a wonderful artist. And he has painted the most beautiful picture. There was light. It was good. There were animals. It was good. There were fish. And there were the great beasts of the sea. And it was good. Man and woman is image and likeness, male and female. It was very, very good. God has made a beautiful creation. And the other question we ask people when we're sharing the gospel is, do you think that the world is broken? The Mona Lisa got broken by the acid. Do you think the world is broken? And again, no matter what people's background, no matter what they believe, no matter what their religion is, even if they're atheists, they say, yes, the world is broken broken and you do not have to look very far to see the brokenness in this world the events that are happening in this world from pandemics to wars to when you just talk to people and find out the tragic situations of their lives the world is a broken place we find in genesis 3 this this beautiful world that was very good cursed is the ground because of you because of your sin We've heard about sin today, and it is really serious. And cursed is the ground. Life is going to be very difficult now. Life is hard. Life is really hard. And it's harder for some than others. But I find that when I do things, just reflecting this morning, I I hoovered, as you know, I like my hoovering. I hoovered the floor of the conservatory yesterday, and it was fantastic. It was beautiful. And I went in this morning, and I was like, what has happened to this floor? Luke! 
absolutely covered and I need it done again. That's a little trivial thing. But my, what I do and try to do in life, things always just break <laughs> because cursed is the ground. We find that pain is multiplied in childbirth. Bringing forth children is difficult. The world is tough. The world is tough. And yesterday in my devotions, I, I really didn't know where I was going to land this morning. I haven't had the most straightforward of weeks health-wise. I'll tell you a little bit about that as we go along. But uh, we had a uh, reading yesterday about Job. I mean, Job's this guy that he, he experiences some of the effects of, of the fall, of the curse, in a way that, uh, that, that hopefully none of us will, but maybe some of you have. Job was this guy, and he, things were going well, and he, he, he did everything right. He honored God. And you know, he, just put yourself in this position for a minute. We all know the story of Job. We all know him, but just, just, Let's try and empathize with him for a minute here. All of his children die. All of them. And he is a good dad. He's not one of these absent dads. He is there. He is praying for his kids. He's providing for his kids. He loves these kids. All of them die. He has marital difficulties. He has friendship difficulties. His whole body gets covered in boils. And just let's empathize with him for a second. This week, this week uh, on last Sunday I was preaching, I started getting a sore eye. You know, the optician gets a sore eye. It's very amusing. Everyone says it's funny for some reason. <laughs> and it just gets worse and worse. And uh, I go into work the next day and I ask my colleague to look at the eye. And she goes, oh, you've got an ulcer in your eye. This ulcer is 0.8 millimeters. It's tiny. It's tiny. But it completely wrecks the first half of my week. I can't read my Bible properly because I can't keep my eyes open. Driving to work, I can't stand the light. And um, I'm just like driving like this, probably very dangerously. And exhausted at work. And when it gets, when it gets to any time I get a break, I just turn the light off and just sit in a dark room. I don't want to talk to anybody. And uh, that's just one little 0.8 millimeter ulcer in the eye. Job is covered from top to bottom with boils. So we're empathizing with him here. Are we feeling his pain a little bit? Before we feeling my pain more. Yeah, that was pretty bad. <laughs> and he starts to be philosophical. And he says, Man who is born of woman is few of days and is full of trouble. He's like, why is life so tough? We have a few days to live on the earth. And it's just flipping hard. And it says, he comes out like a flower and withers. And I was just reading this text. I was just reminded of uh, this philosophical chat I had with my friend Welsh Dave back at university. When I was also, I was Irish Dave at the time. Irish Dave and Welsh Dave on a couch. There was no English Dave, so there was no joke. But just both of us sitting there. And he just turns around to me and he just says, why is it that we're born I wasn't a Christian at the time, so I didn't give him a good answer. Why is it that we're born? And then for 20 years, we get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And then we plateau, and then we just deteriorate. And then he was, he was really emotional because he was thinking about his father. His father was quite a bit older than my father. And he was thinking, I'm just seeing my dad struggle to do stuff. And he was finding it tough. Said, Why is it like that? And Job's the same. He's asking the same question. Perhaps you've asked that question. He comes out like a flower and he withers. And I really do not like seeing my parents and my grandparents 
And Anna's parents' age is just not very nice. It's not nice. Losing strength. And then he says, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? Who can fix this problem? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? I'm just thinking that we are always trying to reverse this curse. We're always trying to fix it. But we can't fix it ourselves because we aren't perfectly clean. Our religious efforts don't fix it because we're not perfectly clean. Politics don't fix it, right, Louise? (laughs) Northern Ireland, the Good Friday Agreement, it's going to fix everything. Still dreadful segregation. Politics don't fix it. Medical care doesn't fix it. Can't reverse the curse. It's going to be hard, and you're going to return to dust. No matter how much money we have, no matter what our medical care is like. My my dear grandmother um, is 95, and she has medical care has kept her alive. But she doesn't know who I am anymore. Life is hard. Life is cursed. And that which is unclean cannot bring clean, cannot fix it. Winning a war doesn't fix the problem. I've been studying the First World War recently, just out of interest, and just seeing how the results of the First World War laid the foundation for the Second World War. It doesn't work. And then Job, in his, philosoph- in, in his philosophy, starts looking at creation. Remember, he's lost to all his children, and he now he's probably realizing just that he is weak, he is flesh, and he is going to return to dust. And he starts looking at the tree, and he goes, there's hope for a tree, if it's chopped down, that it will sprout again. Though its root grow old in the earth and its stump die in the soil, yet at the scent of water it will bud and put out branches like a young plant. He sees the tree and goes, if I chop it down and I put water on it, there can still be life. So he sees resurrection in, in creation. And then he says, but a man dies, he's laid low, he breathes his last Where is he? Where is he? The Bible tells us that God puts eternity on our hearts. So we just know there's something about man. Something eternal about man. About our souls. And he's lost all his kids. And they're on the ground. He's looking at the tree. And the tree's bringing buds forth. He's like, where are they? Where are my children? Where am I going to go? Where are they? And perhaps you know loved ones you've lost. It's not natural. Where are they? And then he says, if a man dies, shall he live again? And of course, at Easter, we remember that Job's question gets a wonderful answer. Resurrection, Jesus Christ from the dead. So Good Friday, the Easter story, it starts obviously well before, but on Good Friday, we remember a man on a Roman cross Suffering for the sin of the world. It's going to get my bag. It's got a couple of book recommendations for you. If you like to do a little bit of casual reading on the toilet or something. This is called Dominion. This is a book by Tom Holland. He's an, he was an atheist historian and studying the history of the early Christian church and and Jesus' life made him change his mind. He talks about crucifixion. And crucifixion is really pretty awful. It really is pretty awful.
barbaric way to die. And on Easter Sunday, Easter, our Good Friday, we remember this man on a Roman cross. And the reason he's on a Roman cross goes right back to Genesis 3. I've already told you about the curse. But there's another curse. There's a curse put on the serpent. Genesis chapter 3. God curses the serpent. and He says, I am going to put enmity, which means war. War between you and the woman. Between your offspring and her offspring. Right back in Genesis 3, you've got this idea that the woman's offspring, not the man's offspring, first indication of virgin birth at Genesis 3, there's going to be a battle between the two. Luke 23. It was now about the sixth hour. So, Jesus is on the cross, fulfilling all the Old Testament prophecy, and it's the sixth hour. And I just want to tell you, when you read your Bible, you should only be a Christian because it's true. You should not be a Christian if it's just a nice little idea. It is true. And Luke is just the most wonderful historian. And the Bible is always called into question, right back in that Genesis when, this, when the serpent says to Eve, did God really say? And Luke's work has been attacked throughout the ages, and it always will be. But every time someone says Luke's wrong about this, archaeological evidence shows that Luke is right and the critic is wrong. He gives incredible levels of detail. So I just want to say that before we start. It was the sixth hour. There was darkness over the land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, this is just a wonderful thing. So I don't know if you guys know about the temple, but in the temple, you had this big curtain. And it separated the most holy place from the rest. And it symbolized man's separation from God. And guys, that has been torn right down from the top to the bottom in a supernatural act by God, symbolizing that it's the way to God is open. I know most of you know this, but rejoice over it. It's open. I remember meeting Christians and I, I, when I was 21, sitting in this room with these Christians and thinking to myself, I was on my quest, I was thinking, I was looking, people like actually Edward and Elizabeth and, and others, and thinking, these guys actually seem to think that God is real <laughs> and actually seem to think that God is is alive and in their lives. And that's because that curtain has been torn right down the middle. Not by our religious efforts, but by the Son of God's sacrifice. Absolutely phenomenal. And it says, Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And can I just tell you, there's no greater person to trust with your spirit than God the Father. My, my dear Auntie Jean, as I always reference, um, told me a story that her husband... Uncle Wilfred, he died. And as he died, she told me she just took him up in his arms and said, Lord, into your hands I commit my husband's spirit. There's no better place for your soul than with God. Trust him. And it says here, having breathed his last. And as I was just thinking about this, and obviously reflecting on what I've read about crucifixion, this is a 33-year-old man. 33-year-old men are very strong, and he breathes his last. My son is currently um, doing philosophy here, this school, and it, it's not very pro-Christian. And one of, the, 
one of the things you've got to do, you've got to write this assessment on um, the argument against God because of evil and suffering, which is actually a very good argument. It's the strongest argument against the Christian faith because it mixes intellectual and emotional. And you're not going to get all your answers <laughs> this side of the grave. But one thing we know for absolute sure is the Son of God breathed his last. And that tells us that he went through some serious suffering because to kill a 33-year-old man in his prime means he went through some serious suffering for us. I'm going to remember it at the Lord's table in a minute. He went through some serious suffering for us. For him actually to die, breathe his last. So one thing I'll tell you, no matter what pain you, ha- you have suffered, no matter what pain you are suffering, I want to tell you that God cares and he's shown us that he cares. He's come in and lived amongst us in this cursed, broken, fallen world. He's a great God. There is no other God like that. The God of Islam would not do that. Only Jesus. He comes into our suffering. Now when the centurion saw that what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. He was innocent. Never done anything wrong. I think that was referenced in the tongue interpretation earlier on because he was crushed for our iniquities. And it's good every now and again just to own that. Remember, particularly when you come to the table, remember actually he was crushed for our iniquities. He's an amazing God. He's an amazing God. He's an amazing God. He breathed his last. It's very important to note that Jesus died. Physically died. He breathed his last. The Romans were superb at killing people. And they knew that he was dead. He breathed his last. There's no doubt about the fact that he had died. What happens next? So he's now dead. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man. He had not consented to their decision and action. He went to Pilate, and he asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, and he wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever laid. The woman who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned, prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. So Joseph of Arimathea, he's in the council. He goes and he asks Pilate for the body. He's given the body. He wraps it up in linen. He puts him in a tomb. No one's laid there before. It's cut into a rock. There's no back door. And then there's a big stone put in front, and it's sealed. And Pilate allows a guard to stand there and make sure that nobody gets into this tomb what happens next changes the world. It's where I want to encourage you with another little book for your reading on whatever you're up to. I'm going to, this book's called The Resurrection of the Son of God. It's written by uh, N.T. Wright. He's a theologian in the Anglican Communion, and if you like a really heavy read. So I'm going to do myself, I'm going to do my best in like five minutes to tell you why you should believe in the resurrection. This is phenomenal scholarly work. I haven't actually managed to get through the whole thing. So if you get through the whole thing, buy your lollipop or something. But it is something that you can trust in, what happens next. The resurrection of the Son of God. Let's see what happens next in the story. Luke 24. 
On the first day of the week, it's a Sunday, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Who's gone? The two Marys and Joanna. So there's three ladies who have gone here. The ladies were much braver than the men, because the men all ran away. The three ladies went, and they found the stone was rolled away from the tomb. Now, these ladies, the same ladies that had seen Jesus laid in the tomb. They're very faithful disciples. They follow, they look, they watch. Everyone else has run away. They're there. They're brave ones. They've seen his tomb there. Now they've, now they've gone there the next morning or two days later. And what are they thinking? What are you thinking? <laughs> so they found the stone rolled away, but they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, two angels appeared to them. Two men, shining, appeared to them and said, why do you seek the living among the dead? I think this is what John read earlier on. He's not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. How are we feeling if you're the two Marys and Joanna now? You feeling good? You feeling excited? You want to go and tell someone about it? Yeah? So what do they do? They run. They run back to the, the, to the 11, the disciples. Got some really good news. Do you remember how Jesus said he was going to die and raise again? Do you remember? Well, he has. Oh, no. And the disciples rejoiced. Did they? <laughs> they did not rejoice. It says they, the words seemed an idle tale and they did not believe them. And I was just I was reading this and thinking, it's like, it really is horrible when you're not believed, isn't it? I remember I had this experience, uh, I shared it before, where I had this, this guy came, and um, I was new to the Christian faith, and this guy came from, from Birmingham, a guy called uh, Pastor Paul Bodie, friend of Harriet's, <laughs> came up to me at a men's meeting, and he just picked me out. And it's my first experience of, of the word of knowledge. And he just asked me my name, didn't know my name, but he asked my name, and he told me, all the stuff that I've been struggling with in my mind for nine years. It was, it was unbelievable. Like Nobody knew about this. Only me and God. I hadn't told anybody. Nobody. And it was, I just couldn't believe it. It was phenomenal. I was so excited. So I got on the phone. I phoned my dad. I phoned my mom. I said, you're not going to believe what happened. I told him. Actually, I was right. I didn't. And <laughs> I, I told my granny. I told people about this. And they all said, oh, you're just delusional. Yeah. And this is, what the, this is what the disciples did to these trusted, godly women. <laughs> they didn't believe. But then while I was thinking about this and going, oh, how can my parents not believe me? I met this guy at, uh, at Terry Virgo's retreats. And he was telling me how he prayed for somebody who had a hyper-mature cataract in the eye. Like a, big, a proper white cataract in the eye. And, you know, I, I send people for surgery for these things. I know they don't come out. He said, I prayed for her, and this woman was completely healed. And I was like, I don't believe you. <laughs> I have no right to not believe, but my heart is like, I don't. I've experienced, I've seen that God is super, supernaturally and powerful. But because I hadn't seen this myself, I didn't believe. So I'm like, I'm just like my parents and my grandparents who didn't believe me. Let's be... Let's believe people if they give us uh, good credibility. 
And Mary and Mary and Joanna were good people. So what happens next? Peter rose and he ran to the tomb, probably just thinking that they've gone to the wrong tomb. So he arrives at the tomb, stops, looks in. He sees the linen clothes by themselves, and it says he went home marveling at what happened. Let us picture Peter's walking along and go, the tomb's empty. Why is it empty? There's a few possibilities. Maybe he wasn't there. No, that wouldn't make sense because we know he was there. We saw he was there. He was definitely there. So someone maybe took him. Maybe the Jews took him or the Romans took him. But they don't want people to believe in Jesus, so they would just bring the body out and say, no, no, here he is. No, no. We're not going to be accepting that one. Maybe grave diggers, maybe grave stealers went in and nicked it. But then, if you were a grave thief, you're not going to go to the one that's being guarded, take a body and, and leave all the valuable linen. No. What could have happened? I was going through this with my kids on Good Friday, or yesterday, sorry, and uh, I went through all these options. And then Abby went, what about option number four? I said, I've given you all the options. He goes, you know, the resurrection thing. (laughs) I was like, oh yeah, the resurrection. The resurrection. Jesus shows himself to be alive. He goes on a seven-mile walk with two disciples. They then told what happened on the road to the other disciples and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them something. Jesus came and stood among them while they were talking about these things, while they were considering these things, while they were wrestling with these things. The kind God that he is comes amongst us And one of the most beautiful things I love about being with you guys is the presence of God. He comes among us time and time again. He's beautiful. And he says something just absolutely lovely. And uh, it links in with with Robert's word. He says, peace to you. So just just picture the disciples. Let's empathize with them for a bit. Empathize with Job. So the disciples, Matthew's left his, his job to follow Jesus. The fishermen left their lives to follow. Elsewhere it says the the disciples left everything to follow Jesus. And then Jesus dies and is taken from them. Let's empathize with them for a minute. How are they feeling? They're confused. They're perplexed. They've doubted their friends. Peter's feeling awful because he's denied Jesus three times. I mean, there's, there's a lot going on here. And Jesus comes in and he says this. He says, peace to you. Isn't that so kind? He gives us his peace gives us his peace and he weeps over Jerusalem because he says if only you knew the things that really make for peace Jesus is our peace he's our peace let's take a moment just to pray for everybody here let's all close our eyes for a second because there will be some of you who do not feel at peace at the moment some of you perhaps do some of you don't so I'm just going to take a moment just to pray just Holy Spirit just welcome you here. We love you. And Lord, we see how you came alongside your disciples and you give them peace when they were, they were all over the place, Lord. I just want to pray for your peace to be upon every mind, every heart, and every situation, Lord, here. 
just going to give you a moment just to give whatever's bothering you to God. And we thank you, Lord, for your peace that surpasses understanding. Just give it to us, Lord. We love you. They were startled and they were frightened and thought they'd seen a spirit. We see again Jesus' kindness. They think Jesus is a spirit. They think he's a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? I just want to talk a little bit about doubt. These are the disciples. They've cast out demons. They've healed the sick. They're now standing before Jesus. And they've still got some doubts. I think that every single Christian at times struggles with doubt. Now, you might look at people at the front who you are leading. You might look at people that just look great. But everybody has to wrestle with this. There's faith and there's doubt. And Jesus meets the disciples in their doubts. He's so kind. And he'd be kind to us as well. He says to them, see my hands? Have a look. And he says, you can touch them. So just picture the disciples getting around Jesus' body and going, yeah. this is not a spirit. And then the Lord in his kindness says, have you got anything for me to eat? Come hungry. And he eats breakfast with them. He's risen from the dead. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Father, I just want to pray for us all that you would open our minds to understand your scriptures. And then he said something to them. It is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Repentance for all nations. It was great to have Genia share what they do in Ukraine to, to remember this. All nations. Gospels for all the nations. And the reality is that only Jesus can give us freedom from sin. I shared some of my sin with you last week. How God has forgiven me. <laughs> Peter denied Jesus. God forgive him. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. Have you read, I don't know if you read John Newton's biography, but he was a he was not a good man. He was not a good man. He would take slaves from Africa and transport them to places to make them would make them into slaves treated the woman horrendously on the boats and yet he's forgiven and he says amazing grace I sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me the curtain of the temple was torn in two and there was a great exchange our sin goes on Jesus at the cross and our, his perfection and righteousness comes to us and it's just wonderful it's just wonderful the curtain of the temple was torn in two the way to God is open. He gives us his peace. Let's all close our eyes again just for a moment. It's going to give us an opportunity to respond just to that little 
offer of peace from the Lord. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. If any of you would like to ask the Lord to come into your heart right now, heal you, forgive you, every eye is closed, no one can see, I just want you to put your hand up. Leave it a few seconds. If you want that peace that you know you haven't got and only Jesus can give you, just put your hand up and we'll pray for you. And then he said, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but I stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he has said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. After his resurrection, Jesus says, I want you to go and share this news all over the world, but wait until you receive the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. So today, as we come into your close, we want to do two things. We want to remember Jesus. We want to remember him with our communion. And then we're going to have a little bit of worship, and I'm going to invite you. I'll invite you to take a lead. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit this morning, we want to pray for you to come receive that gift. Is that okay? Stand with me a second, guys. I feel like... Yeah, Father, we just want to thank you as a church, Lord, for sending your Son. We want to thank you, Lord, for communion. Father, I want to thank you for how you revealed yourself to those two men on the, on the road to Emmaus through the breaking of bread. And Father, we're going we're gonna to break the bread, and we're going to remember that your body was broken for us. And we're going to drink the wine, the juice, and remember that your blood was shed for us so that we could be righteous. And Father, it says in your word that we should take this the right way. So Father, I just want to pray for every one of us here that we would remember you well as we come and take the bread and that we would offer ourselves afresh to you to live for you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's take a moment quiet. When you're ready, come and take a piece of bread and wine. Pray for one another. And then we'll go back to worship.